Orale, bienvenidos and welcome to the Familia FFP podcast. This is Jorge Martin, and hey, Familia, we are continuing with some heavy hitters on the NFL Insider Series that we're doing. We're filling in the blanks for you. This is this is the month leading up to training camps. We're we're bringing on some guests that are just I mean that are just filling us with so much knowledge, so much information, getting you ready for training camp, getting you ready for the upcoming football season. Make sure you're liking and subscribing. Get subscribing. Set up your notifications on YouTube so you can get these, so you can get the, this these uh, these different. Uh, and it shows episodes, everything you're getting that insider information straight from the field. And as we've been uh, saying, Familia, we are a proud member of the Fantasy Points Media Group. I mean, those those guys. I mean, Graham Barfield, Joe Dolan, who had who had this guest on recently, and uh, was re- and he's so. Been, been so gracious as to come on to this show uh, after the invite. Uh, the fantasy guru himself, John, John Hansen. I mean, you got Scott Barrett, you know, his strength of schedule. Wes Huber, who's doing double duty with NFL and college football. Some of the best fantasy football minds. And when you go to fantasypoints.com, you get a 10% off when you put in the promo code FAMILIA22. If you want to put it in in Spanish, put FAMILIA22. So make sure to get yourself a get yourself a subscription, Familia. We are going to the Great Lakes. You know, uh, we borrowed the Lakers from them, but you know, he's also he's also passing on some great information to me. I mean, uh, Matthew Collar, he is the founder of Purple Insider. I mean, it, he has written work on there covering that. He's a credentialed reporter covering the Vikings. I mean, he, he he's been he also creates uh, an audio podcast called the Purple Insider Podcast. I mean, he's just he he just he brings you into everything purple through and through. In fact. I I understand he may have, you know, because he lives in the, in the great city of Minneapolis, he's going to be a big fan of, he's got to be a big fan of Prince because uh, I think that's a city requirement. So mi amigo, bienvenido, Matthew Collar. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for having me. Of course you have to be a Prince fan. Now I didn't grow up in Minnesota. I moved here. um, It was, I think uh, seven or eight years ago now to cover the Minnesota Vikings but I was a Prince fan before that. And so I fit in really well because I grew up playing the guitar back when playing the guitar was a cool thing. And if there's any better guitar player in the universe than Prince, let me know. But I tend to think that there aren't very many. So I always really, really enjoyed Prince's guitar work. And of course, was heartbroken when he passed away, just like the rest of the state. But they continue to celebrate him. There's murals downtown. Every sports team plays Let's Go Crazy when their team scores. I mean... Uh, it is it is Prince's place. In fact, his house is now a museum. I haven't been yet because there's like a long line of people that you have to sign up and they only take so many in and then COVID happened. But his house is basically a museum here in Minnesota. And of course, there's the connection to football with his Super Bowl performance, which I must say was the greatest oh. halftime performance ever done. Uh, you know, I. I've I've had the pleasure of seeing Prince a couple of times. Uh, I think three times in concert, and one time I remember, and it was it, it was around the time of that Super Bowl. It was a couple of years before that Super Bowl performance, but I remember walking out and uh, and saying to my friend that I went to the show with, I said, if he'd have gone out and played that ten minute version of Purple Rain, and walked off stage, I felt like I got my hundred dollars worth. That halftime show 
with him playing Purple Rain in the rain. Mm. But just literally. Do you have a favorite song? Do you have a favorite Prince song? Um, Yeah, I mean, the guitar work in Let's Go Crazy is absolutely <sighs> way, way up there for me. I think that, um, I mean, that, that solo that he did on Well, My Guitar Gently Weeps also, I'm sure that everyone's seen oh, it by now on yes. YouTube. But that's just one that absolutely blows me away. So I, I spend a lot of time just YouTubing Prince guitar solo. And there's a lot of concert footage that is sort of since he passed away, made its way out that now I think people who hadn't seen him in concert before. I mean, Minnesotans already knew, but people outside of Minnesota maybe didn't realize how truly excellent he was at playing the guitar until that Super Bowl performance. And uh, I mean, to mix in other songs, too, from the Foo Fighters, from Jimi Hendrix. I mean, it was just it was so brilliant as opposed to just doing all of his own stuff. He decided to make kind of an homage to music in general. I mean, not only that, but the man was wearing like high heels and dancing around in the rain, which is, uh, you know, quite the challenge. How do you, I don't know how he did that. I don't know how he pulled it off. Maybe he had some sort of stick them on the bottom of those heels, but he's man, a great just, athlete. I, did you know that he was a great athlete? He was a really good basketball player. I mean, well, everyone knows that now because of the Chappelle thing, but that's uh, true. That, that was not made up. That is true. That Prince was really good at basketball. And apparently in that Dave Chappelle one, he played in the shoes, in the heels, and he still just did that. What? Oh man. Prince, uh, RIP. I, I, I I, to me, you know, one of the great guitar solos is the ending to uh, to P Purple Rain. Just absolutely, just hearing that play, I could literally. I mean, I've heard an eight, I've heard eighteen minute versions of that song, where probably like six minutes of that, or him just playing the the closing, just phenomenal, phenomenal. R.P. Prince, uh, we miss you, miss you, miss you, miss you. Uh, I'll, you know, music lives forever. So, uh, and well. I don't know how to transition over to uh, to football from that because that that was quite the high note. Uh, the Vikings. Let, let's just let's just jump into them. Kevin O'Connell coming on as the uh, as the the head coach. He's he's coming over from the Rams, which I'm familiar with. He won a Super Bowl ring with the Rams as the offensive coordinator. We know Sean McVay is the one who's calling the plays, but they had the two of them had that connection with. Uh, with Kirk Cousins. I know that uh, Kevin O'Connell crossed over with him as, as quarterback coach for one of the years that, the, that he was in Washington. How important is that connection to kind of getting him started? And how do you see him kind of fitting into that Shanahan type of offense uh, that, that, uh, that has so much yak and, and, uh, and, and, you know, really, really, you know, it can become really prolific when it's run well. Yeah, I think that you touched on a really interesting storyline here for training camp is like, what is the offense really going to look like? Because if you look at what Los Angeles did last year, it was very different from what they did with Jared Goff, which the Jared Goff yak type of offense, the shorter passes in 2020. But then even before they were running some deeper stuff with play actions and a very high percentage of play action earlier in Goff's career. And that's basically what Kirk Cousins has looked like over the last few seasons under Mike Zimmer slash Kevin Stefanski slash Gary Kubiak slash Clint Kubiak. It's always been that Shanahan Kubiak style play action offense. But is Kevin O'Connell going to come in and say, let's 
modernize that a little bit like we did in Los Angeles with Jared Goff? Or is he going to say, hey, you're my new Matt Stafford and we're going to spread it out a little more. We're going to use your arm a little bit more. Now, I don't think that would be a great idea because there's a talent gap and their arm, just arm talent in general and physical skill between Matthew Stafford and Kirk Cousins. I think especially when it comes to the tight window throws, I mean, you know, the no look throw in the Super Bowl is not something that you're going to see from Kirk Cousins. He's much closer to Jared Goff than he is to Matt Stafford in terms of the arm strength and things like that. But at the same time, it's a main goal of theirs to utilize Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen as the centerpieces of the offense when in previous years, Mike Zimmer wanted it to be Delvin Cook. Now, how that all relates to fantasy football is very interesting too, because last year they threw over 600 passes. In fact, they threw the same number of passes as the Los Angeles Rams. It probably happened in some different order of getting behind in games and throwing a lot. But at the same time, like they went more toward the type of offense last year that they've been talking about, I think maybe than they want to admit, because Mike Zimmer was really obsessed with running the football with Delvin Cook. And I don't blame him because Delvin Cook is really good at football. But last year, Delvin Cook was banged up for half the year. And we saw Irv Smith Jr. go out with an injury that forced them to play more three wide receivers than they ever had before in that Kubiak system. So I guess my question is, how much different is it really going to be? But, you know, you can put up the same exact numbers in a different order and have it be a lot better for your football team, right? Like if you're passing to get ahead, you're establishing Justin Jefferson instead of establishing the run. Or when you get up by seven points, you're not saying, okay, let's just back off. Let's just take our foot off the gas. You're putting it on the accelerator and trying to win that game by 21 points. Unlike Mike Zimmer, who a lot of times it seems like as soon as they would get up in a game, it was like, we can't be aggressive. Got to just play defense which was great when they had the number one defense, but they didn't over the last two years. And I think that was a major thing that really hurt them. So, you know, there's also the the conversation too about like how much different can Kirk Cousins really be? He's 34 years old. I mean, there's not too many quarterbacks who have had even success after age 34, much less sort of reinvented themselves in some sort of way. So, um, you know, I think that some of the narrative with Mike Zimmer is, oh, well, he held back Kirk Cousins. But then you look at Kirk Cousins' numbers and go, I mean, if he held him back, he got the best version of him too. So how can those two things be true? So I think with Kevin O'Connell, you don't want to throw out uh, the good stuff that this offense has done over the last few years while you're trying to reinvent it. I think you want to tweak it more than you want to overhaul it. But I also get the feeling from the way they're talking that they're probably overhauling it, which will take some kind of adjustment. Yeah, and usually that takes a while to to do. I mean, I, I know it. I know Matthew Stafford hit the hit the ground running from the start of the season. The Rams started three and zero. Started, you know, he was hitting long passes right off the bat. But you're right. You know, there's only a few guys who have that arm arm strength. I, I kind of want to see. Can you kind of look into the into the crystal ball? And I want to go into the receivers a little bit first. Justin Jefferson is uh, is one of the elite talents in the NFL. I think he, you know he's a lot of a lot of times he's either going off as the second or the third wide receiver in fantasy. You're talking, you know, we're talking about the 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 offense. Could he? I mean, are we talking about a trying to trying to find a different gear with him through the through this offense he's thrown out the number 2000 receiving yards out there i think he's th- thrown down the gauntlet with uh with, with his former 
college teammate, Jamar Chase, who's first one to 2000 wins the prize, whatever that prize is going to be. Is, is there another gear in there in this offense? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Because I mean, that's kind of the million dollar question is, I mean, how much better do we expect it to get? I mean, he is the number one receiver in terms of yardage over the last two years in the NFL. And then the expectation is that it's even better. I think that we're setting the sights probably too high for Justin Jefferson, which is not a criticism. It's only to say that what he's done in the last two years is arguably be the best wide receiver in the entire NFL. And then you're saying, oh, well, because he'll have a new offense that now that's going to take it to another level. And I think that it's very reasonable to say he can repeat it. And even Kirk Cousins said, if Justin Jefferson wants to end up in the Hall of Fame, just do that like 10 years in a row and you'll end up in the Hall of Fame. And I totally agree with him. There's also the fact that, you know, the league is not going to be taken by storm by Justin Jefferson this time. And the fear of Adam Thielen is much reduced from where it was even when Jefferson came into the league. Thielen could still play, but he's not a deep threat anymore. And you can put two people in the area of Justin Jefferson. And I think at times last year, that was an adjustment that they had to make that all of a sudden there was more attention for Jefferson. Well, that's not changing. In fact, that's going to be ramped up even more. I mean, everyone who plays the Vikings is going to game plan starting with Justin Jefferson, which, you know, they wouldn't have done in 2020 when he emerged out of nowhere and, you know, went for 175 yards in his first start. Like that's just not, he's not going to catch anybody by surprise. I would also say too, that when a guy averages 16 yards a catch and is one of the elite deep receivers in the league, you don't want to turn him into Cooper cup. Like that's been the big comparison. Well, right. why can't he just be Cooper cup? Right. But Cooper cup is an underneath receiver that goes out of the slot a lot. He doesn't average the same yards per reception. He does require a lot of uh, yards after catch, which Cooper cup is terrific at. And I think Jefferson could be good at too, but do you want a lot of short passes to somebody who is the best deep receiver, one of the best deep receivers in the NFL? I think this is a, a big challenge for Kevin O'Connell because from what Jefferson is saying in the media, he's setting the bar unbelievably high saying, I want to be one of the all time greats. Make sure there's a Justin Jefferson ratio. Like there was back in the day with the Randy Moss ratio. Um, but I also think that if you change too much, then you might not be utilizing him to his complete maximum. It's like if there was one guy that they don't need to change anything with, it probably was Justin Jefferson. So I got I got one question. One question, um, and and it's and it focuses on two particular games at Chicago in Week 14, at Green Bay Week 17. Week 17 being the fantasy football championships. Uh, there. There's there is so much data showing that dome teams don't do well when when it's extreme cold goes goes in. Are those could those games be potential concerns? Uh, you know, especially that last game, which I, I believe they were in week 17 in uh, Green Bay last year, playing in near freeze in near zero temperatures. Concern it, it cause for should those be cause for concerns for people? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think so, especially that, you know, Kirk Cousins over the last few years has kind of faded down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if that's age or if that's when things go wrong. It's not the best version of Kirk Cousins. I mean, the, the issue with Cousins and why he's been a 500 quarterback for pretty much his entire career is that when things go wrong, he's not a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers that has the physical talent to overcome that. So when the Vikings had poor guard play, it just blew up a lot of plays for them. Or if Delvin Cook wasn't running as well, then it got a lot harder on Kirk Cousins. And toward the end of last season, Cook was banged up, Adam Thielen was missing, and all of a sudden, it just wasn't the same passing game. I don't know if he can't play in the cold. I mean, I've seen him in Green Bay have good games. But at the same time, I mean, you're talking about a team that over the last several years has been in the playoff hunt and had big games that they had to play against division opponents, Chicago several times, but Green Bay last year was their last chance to get in the playoffs. Now, Cousins didn't play in that game, but uh, even go back to 2019, late in the season, they had a chance to potentially win the division if they could have beaten Green Bay and they got run out of their own building. So I think that like that's one that you can't necessarily bank on, but also like, what are you going to do? Trade Justin Jefferson, your fantasy team or something <laughs> like you're going to, you're going to keep him. But I think that as far as overall for the team, like that is something that you can't overlook for your know, cousins playing extremely well at the beginning of last year, putting up great numbers. And then as the season went along, there was kind of fading out. And also I think, you know, 17 games is just harder on everybody. Um, you know, adding one more to it. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's some validity to that. Um, I, you know, it's hard to say whether they should love playing Green Bay at the end of the year at Green Bay or not, because they get them at home to start the season where they're debuting a new offense and they have a lot of time to, you know, prepare for that. So it's kind of the the give and take. It's like you got the advantageous start at home against Green Bay, but then you have to take the hellacious. And I have walked from the parking lot which is actually just a field into lambeau field several times now in january and i don't like it it's not good so much less playing outside i I think there's there is something to that um you know they've played a lot of ugly games when it's cold in green bay uh but you know i mean that's just kind of the schedule they have to take on yeah, that's the thing. You know, they they make the schedule for a reason. I know they'll probably ask, hey, okay, next time we'll we'll open in Green Bay and then uh, close the season in in, uh, in Minnesota. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the other receivers in a second, but uh, Dalvin Cook. Again, you know, we're talking about Kevin O'Connell coming from the Rams. Uh, so many people look at what Todd Gurley did in 2017 and 2018 when he was RB1, and then uh, he would have been RB3. He w- would have been RB1 again, except he missed the last uh, couple games of the season. And looking at Dalvin Cook is one of the top talent, top running back talents. Obviously, he's had the shoulder injury that sometimes has uh, caused him to miss some games. But in this offense, uh, could he find another gear because he is so talented in the passing game? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as like his usage goes, there's some give and take there. Uh, if Kevin O'Connell is smarter about the way he handles Dalvin Cook, he probably won't try to run him 300 times over a year, or at least on that pace, as Mike Zimmer tried to do in 2019 and 2020. And, you know, even last year, Dalvin spends a big portion of the season injured. Uh, or playing through injury, which he has done. And if you look at his numbers in the first half and second half of seasons, 
it's that could be a reason that Cousins' play has dropped because Delvin Cook has either been injured at times or he's been playing through injury and has been less effective. And I think that they're taking a sports science approach to try to manage players' mileage, which I don't know that Mike Zimmer ever cared about stuff like that. I thought he, you know, he probably looked at it and said, Emmett Smith used to get the ball a million times. Why not Delvin Cook? But, uh, you know, the, the league is different now. And I think that Zimmer didn't really ever want to adjust to rotating his running backs. And we may see that from Kevin O'Connell a little more, which may take away the rushing yards. We may see more of a, like where Elvin Kamara would split with Mark Ingram or split with Latavius Murray, where, you know, he's not getting 15, 1600 yards. He's getting 900 or a thousand, but he's being used smarter to win football games. And then they're rotating Alexander Madison and Kenny Wong. I could definitely see something like that. But as far as the passing game goes, I think it's kind of a, it's kind of become a bit of a myth of the like receiving running back. Like there, there is guys who catch passes for sure, but almost nobody in the NFL goes down the field. So it's really how well can you scheme that up? And last year they did a very poor job of scheming up screen passes to Delvin cook. He averaged six yards a catch in, in last year in his receiving Whereas two years ago, three years ago, 2019, he averaged 10 yards a catch. I mean, that's entirely scheme because he's not a different guy. Um, so can they bring the screen passing game back and utilize this very athletic offensive line that was sort of built for mobility to succeed in the screen game? If they do that, I mean, it helps Kirk Cousins for sure. And it also could ramp up those statistics and kind of balance it out for maybe he'll run a little less, but he'll be more successful in the receiving game. For those who like handcuffs, whether Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook owners who want a handcuff, or somebody who wants to snipe Dalvin Cook's handcuff, or you know, even though they don't have him, is it clearly Alexander Madison or uh, Nwangwu, or even I think I think it was Ty Chandler? Uh, could they could could they be working into the mix? It would be pretty surprising if it was Ty Chandler. Um, I think he's like extreme depth at this point because Madison and Wong Wu are both very good players. That's where the battle really exists because clearly Mike Zimmer trusted Alexander Madison, uh, very smart player can also catch the ball out of the backfield really well, uh, has good hands. Like he's rough and tumble. Like he's somebody that was very trustworthy running back, but Kenny Wong Wu is a Ferrari. I mean, if you saw him, do any of his kick returns last year. I mean, he had two kick returns for touchdown and what, how many times did he even get a chance to return it? I mean, he's, he's that fast. He is a four, three coming out of college with a 10 yard split in the 98th percentile. I mean, he is blazing fast. So does Kevin O'Connell look at that and say, well, do I want to tank or do I want someone who is a playmaker and who I could get in space and could be much more of a home run hitter. I remember looking at this with Alexander Madison He's had very few runs that uh, were really like he breaks a big one. You know, he'll have some explosives here or there, but not that like 75 yard home run. He just doesn't really have the speed for that. So that could be something that they really balance. And I think that it won't be the same type of advantage for the handcuff and fantasy as it was before the last few years. It's been pretty obvious. Like when Delvin goes down, Madison's getting the football, good chance that he plays really well. Now I think that water's a little more muddy and, and, you know, I mean, I know that teams, uh, people with their fantasy teams have to draft now and try to guess and figure that out. So, uh, but 
I'm going to be looking for that in training camp because we don't really know what this new coaching staff thinks of how they want to use their running back rotation. Irv Smith. Uh, I think there were big plans for him last year. Got hurt at the end of tra- uh, at the, at the end of the exhibition season. Uh, what what is his health level going into training camp and could he become uh you know someone who gets used like a Tyler Higby did or I mean I'm not going to say he's going to get usage like George Kittle does in San Francisco in a, in a similar offense but uh there's so many people who are salivating for that next great tight end uh but uh if how's his health and then uh what's what could be his usage Yeah, the good news on his health is that he is ahead of schedule. So um, when he initially talked to us at the very beginning of the offseason during workouts, he talked like he wouldn't be back until training camp, but he was out there during minicamp participating, which is quite a bit uh, ahead of schedule. So we assume that he's feeling pretty good and is going to be ready to go 100% when they get to training camp. And last year, he was their best player in all of training camp. And I remember, I mean, the team was crushed when – he got hurt. And again, this goes back to that sports science stuff. He was playing in the third preseason game when he got hurt. Why? I have no idea why you're playing your star tight end at that uh, situation. But yeah, the expectations are really high. I guess what I would say is if you look at what Tyler Conklin did last year, I'd kind of put the bar in a similar area. I mean, I know that Irv Smith is a better football player, but in terms of Well, it's, you know, it's a new offense. So, I mean, this could change, but in terms of like distributing the football, Justin Jefferson wants 2000 yards. Adam Thielen has caught what 24 touchdowns in his last 27 games or something, something like that. And so you got Delvin cook wants the football and then where does Irv Smith fit into this? I don't know that it's going to mean 80 or 90 catches. It could mean more like 50, but they're good because there's a lot of mismatches that are being created by the other skill players around Irv Smith Jr. And I think that the other part of it too, is that Kirk Cousins learned to trust him uh, over the last few years. So there is chemistry there. They do know each other. And I I think that, you know, that should result in Irv Smith having a big year. It's always hard to say hundred percent with someone coming off of an injury, but it doesn't look like something that it's going to hold him up for a long period of time. It looks like he's going to be right back to where he was last year. And the expectations are high. I guess my question is when you go into a season like this, and you say, all right, well, this guy is expected to catch this many, and this guy's got this expectation. It's like, well, who's going to get left out of the party a little bit? Because if everybody reaches their expectations, it's going to add up to 6,000 yards, right? So <laughs> like, so who's, who's not getting the football as much? And I do wonder if we get to the end of the year and go, you know, Irv Smith didn't have quite that crazy year. And then we go because they were throwing to Justin Jefferson 150 times. That one exactly, and and you know the the people who are asking you know asking is KJ is KJ Osborne a thing? Is there any sleeper? But I mean, I don't see if everybody like you said if everybody performs up to their level, I don't see a lot left that's that's really startable for for a fantasy league other than like just an emergency situation. Yeah, no, I agree. And there's also, you know, Amir Smith-Marset behind KJ Osborne that I think is going to push him. And BC Johnson is coming back. BC mm-hmm. Johnson was a seventh round pick of theirs in 2019, I think, or 2018. Uh, and, you know, he had an ACL last year, but he's somebody that's very trustworthy. 
Um, so he's not like a speedster or something like that, but he's a very intelligent player and runs, uh, you know, good routes and things like that. He's one of those that coaches tend to like, uh, which is how he made the team as a seventh round pick. So he's going to be competing for that spot too. And if you're running more three wide receivers, I think you're also trying to rotate those guys in Smith. Marset has all the signs of a pure deep threat type of receiver where BC Johnson is more of a possession type of guy. KJ Osborne can make some plays and has good hands. He certainly showed it last year when he made big progress, but you know, again, like where all the fans are saying, well, this guy should get better and this guy should be way better. And this guy should have way more catches. It's like, well, somebody's not. And <laughs> KJ Osborne's probably the guy that I would look at and say, if he gives them something similar and remember some of it came from Adam Thielen getting hurt last right. year and he started at the end of the season, that would be maybe a reason to get him. If you think that there should be concerns over Thielen's health, I tend to think not. I mean, I'd have to be a you know, a soothsayer to try to predict, uh, if someone was getting hurt, if I could predict that I'd be making a lot more money, but, uh, Adam Thielen's injury last year was a random thing. He got an ankle twisted on a strange tackle in Detroit. And then he tried to come back too early. It wasn't like, Oh, it's his 14th hamstring injury. Right. So, and we talk about him being older. It's not like he's 39. I mean, so it's, it's very hard to say if KJ Osborne will get that opportunity again, if somebody gets hurt, but I guess if you're looking for somebody who could have some upside, he is in line to be the next man up. If there is anybody missing. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, two kind of related, but not, uh, you know, supporting, supporting questions to, uh, to fantasy football, the offensive line. There's been so much investment in the offensive line and draft capital. Christian Darasaw was a, a first round draft pick in 2021. Is this offensive line, which uh, I, which was ranked number 19 going into the season by Pro Football Focus, is this offensive line ready to be able to protect Cousins to do what he needs to do and to open the holes for Dalvin Cook? I think that the PFF ranking is pretty fair. Um, they're better than last year. They've made some better choices at the guard position by bringing in multiple veteran players to fight for that job. Last year, they took a guy who was a developmental tackle and said, you want to play guard? Go ahead, give it a shot. And he led the league in holding penalties. Like no surprise, right? And they've done that for years where they've just had these very poor solutions to the interior, which is, not coincidentally, uh, where Kirk Cousins allows the majority of his pressure. I, I looked at this not too long ago that even when he was in Washington, when he had a good offensive line, the majority of the pressure came up the middle because he doesn't move in the pocket. He's not somebody that's escaping to the outsides. And, you know, I think that they didn't invest enough. They went back to Garrett Bradbury, who ranked dead last in PFF grade in pass blocking. Uh, Ezra Cleveland is in his second year playing a, you know, a position for the first time for two years in a row at left guard. And then this right guard spot, it's Chris Reed, Jesse Davis. They drafted Ed Ingram for, I'm not sure why in the second round, uh, you know, they've, like you said, invested so much draft capital, but they haven't really hit on it. I mean, outside of Brian O'Neill, who is a fantastic player and the expectation is that Christian Derrissaw is good. But the, the problem has never been the tackle play. When Riley Reef was here, the tackle play was good too. And yet it was that interior pressure and they made no significant effort. Instead, they spent money on like Jordan Hicks on defense and Patrick Peterson. 
which they needed defense, but I think they even more needed if they were going to be a real contender to beef up that offensive line because of who your quarterback is. He's not going to make up for any of that by running around back there or escaping and scrambling. He is a pocket quarterback and will not be leaving the pocket at any time. So it's going to be up to those guys to, you know, Garrett Bradbury to take a step, but he's kind of an old guy for someone who was drafted in the first round not that long ago. I think he's almost 27 now. And Ezra Cleveland is now going into his third year, and we kind of know this is not going to be an elite pass-blocking guard. So I think that that's a pretty significant weakness. And it's funny about this team because you look at their offensive numbers and you say they've put up a lot of yards and they put up a good amount of points and the fantasy players have done mostly great, but why haven't they really gotten that next step? Well, that's part of the reason is that their quarterback cannot overcome when there's weaknesses like that on the offensive line. And it was very surprising, I think, to all of us to see them bring back pretty much the same strategy on the offensive line with Bradbury coming back and not investing in some big free agent right guard. So I want to go to the other side of the ball before I to close to close things out. Uh, I like to ask the question, this was... A, a, how the team shapes up against the run and against the pass to just kind of give our listeners and our viewers a look at how the, you know, can you do the, do we have to have a concern if you've got a quarterback going against this defense or a running back going against this defense? How do you see, uh, I know that they were, they were plenty forgiving in the past last year. How do they shape up this year? Yeah, I mean, this is another thing that is harder to predict this year than it's ever been before for me covering this team because I, I have not covered a coach other than Mike Zimmer for the Vikings. He was here since 2014, and now you have Ed Donatell in his defense. You know, I think that they've made an investment and tried to get better against the run where they were horrific last year. Uh, against the pass, they created a lot of sacks and got a fair number of interceptions. Um, they, you know, had their problems at times, but it was really the fact that anytime a team wanted to win a game against the Vikings, they could just hand off. Um, you saw it with the Rams last year, Matt Stafford might've had his worst game through three interceptions. And yet Sony Michelle goes for, I don't know what it was, 150 or whatever. So they bring in Harrison Phillips. They keep Delvin Tomlinson around, but they're going to a system that also has, you know, two deep safeties all the time, which kind of opens the door for the potential of the running game. Jordan Hicks is a new linebacker. It's not Anthony Barr anymore. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. But really, the secondary hinges a lot on whether Lewis Seen is great right away, their first round draft pick, because Harrison Smith is one of the best safeties in the league still. But their corners, pretty questionable. Bringing back Patrick Peterson, they draft Andrew Booth, but we'll see if he gets in the game uh, early on. Cam Dantzler has had a lot of ups and downs in his career. Um, they brought in more pass rush from the edges in Zadarius Smith, but they still really focused on the run defense in the interior. So they don't have like an all around pass rush that you're going to bet is going to be consistent. I think that if you have a quarterback going up against the Vikings, especially early as they adjust to a new system and a lot of new players, you're, you're probably going to want to play that quarterback because I, I feel like it's not that hard for offenses to adjust to new systems especially for veteran quarterbacks, veteran players. But defense is a lot of communication, a lot of adjustment, a lot of having to be on the same page. And A always affects B. The defensive line affects the 
linebackers who affect the corners, who affect the safeties. And if everybody's not on the same page right away, right off the beginning, you could see some big performances. And oh, by the way, they play Aaron Rodgers in week one. So, I mean, that that game sort of has shootout written uh, all over it. But I would say that, you know, they are expecting the defense to be better, but I am skeptical of how much better it's going to be. So last one, fun one. Uh, we talked about it a little bit offline. I'm, I, I'm always curious how the Mexican food, especially taco scene is in the different cities around the country. Uh, to, I know Minnesota is famous for its food. To, uh, give me, can you give me a, a, an appetizer? Yeah, it's kind of interesting with uh, Minnesota. There's just a, there's a lot of a lot of different things. Um, it's not really known for one particular thing, unless you ask uh, some people who will claim that it's a, a type of burger that they have here. But I mean, it's not. It's a burger. It's not different. It's not like Kansas City barbecue or something. But I think there's a ton of diversity in the food scene, and there are a lot of very highly thought of Mexican places around oh, here. And uh, so there's. In, in my backyard, I mean, in walking distance, a place called the Taqueria. And you will laugh at me because I am a simple man. I am a quesadilla or taco man. Um, I, don't, I don't get too adventurous. I'm pretty simple, but it's just, it's just tremendous. It's just the best. Um, it's very simple, perfect food for me. And um, yeah, I think that if you ever do find yourself in Minnesota for whatever reason, you would have to give me maybe a more cultured opinion um, cause I'm like, do they make a good quesadilla? I'm in. Well, what are your favorite taco meats? Uh, you know, I'm just a, uh, I'm usually a chicken guy. Oh, okay. I mean, I, again, I'm not, I'm not a complicated man for me. It's usually just chicken, lettuce, cheese. That's it. Just straight okay. up. I dabbled in carne asada, which is one of the staples. Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but that's, that's really as far as I've gone on the menu now that's, but that's on me. Like I should be more adventurous, but I also like know that if I go for carne asada or if I go for chicken, it's going to be like very simple and I, I'm going to get what I want. So, uh, even, even with the quesadilla, it's pretty much just cheese, chicken, melt it together, give it to me. And it's wonderful. But, uh, but I know from talking to people who are much better eaters than me and probably, you know, just more cultured than me when it comes to deciding whether food is good. Uh, they speak highly of, of the Mexican food here in Minnesota, but you know, there's also a high um, Somali population here, which Ooh. is interesting. There's a very high uh, Hmong population that just brings a lot of different you know things to the table here. So I think there was like a food network feature on, you know, the Hmong population and their food in Minnesota. So yeah, I think that we're thought of as being mostly Norwegian people here but um there's there's a a lot more diversity than people think oh that's fantastic I, i'm gonna give you a checklist uh i'll send you i'll send you a dm of, of things to try number one if you'd like a little bit of heat chorizo is one of the one one of the one of my top five but uh uh you know what you never have to feel bad about uh, going going simple with the tacos because quite honestly uh, you know, if uh, you ask, you ask me, you know, when I get all the different, different types, I end up gravitating, I, I end up going to, 
uh, Carnet saw that most of the time and, uh, uh, and all, all the time, the chicken too. And, uh, but yeah, there's a, when, the, when I get more adventurous, it depends on how much the, the taco guy, how adventurous the, me, the menu is. But, uh, yeah. Oh, as, as we would say in Spanish, Matthew, esto fue un gran placer. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. This was a, an incredible pleasure. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to drop this on there. What do you, what do you have coming up, uh, leading up to training camp and kind of, uh, where people can subscribe to the newsletter? Yeah. Uh, as you can see, if you're looking at this, uh, purpleinsider.com is where you can go. You can see any of the articles and, and subscribe to the newsletter there and the purple insider podcast, do it every day. And, uh, as you mentioned at the top of the show, I'm out there at training camp every day. And so the next couple of weeks, are a lot of the stuff that we just talked about, like previewing training camp. What are the biggest storylines and what should people be looking for? And uh, how is Kevin O'Connell's offense going to kind of, you know, restructure this entire thing that we've just seen with Mike Zimmer for so many years. So uh, yeah, anybody who's a, a Viking fan, feel free to jump in there and also feel free to tweet me with more Mexican food suggestions. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If you get, if, if they've got the, if they've got the diversity, Hey, you know what? I'm going to get, I'm going to give you about five different meats to try. So uh, I'll, have to, I'll send you the menu of the place that's right next to my house. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll, I'll say, okay, got to try this, 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 and this. So, uh, and, and I will definitely, if there's a question as to what part of the animal it comes from, I'll, I'll explain it just to, cause I know there are some things that I just won't eat, uh, because I know where they come from, but, uh, <laughs> Matthew, thank you again. Thank you again. This was fantastic. This was fantastic. And, uh, familia, this was total for our show. Uh, again, go to fantasypoints.com, put in the promo code familia 22, familia 22. If you do it in Spanish, get 10% off your subscription. Uh, you know what? I'm going to keep pushing out content. This NFL Insider Series is we're about halfway through the league right now, hoping to get everything done by the end of the, by the beginning of training camp. I'm telling you this the knowledge that we just got right now that we continue to get from these insiders is just fantastic. Keep coming back to our YouTube page. Keep coming back to our uh Apple, Google, Spotify. We're on uh, we're on all of those podcast networks. You just put in Familia FFB, get there. I'm going to be pushing out content articles on familiaffb.com. Make sure you you know you uh, Go to my Twitter account. I'm going to be pushing everything throughout there. We'll also be pushing things out through Familia FFB, uh, Facebook, and Instagram pages. So, otra vez, to our invitado de lujo, Matthew, thank you. Thank you so much. And everybody, todos somos familia. Salud.